Soul Sacrifice June 21st, Mount Sai State Park, Washington State Luz leaped out of the car as Patrick rolled to a stop next to her mother's old Camry, surrounded by yellow police tape. She bolted through the parking lot as Patrick huffed behind her, trying to catch up. Underneath the canopy, the muggy, dark trail twisted and tunneled upward. Sweat rolled down their faces and backs, sticking their clothes to their skin, and Luz's hair curled and frizzed into a brown halo. Gasping, she stopped and leaned against the truck of a cedar so tall its crown disappeared above her. Are you all right? Patrick wheezed, catching up to her. Just nauseous. You shouldn't be up here. We didn't even bring water. Pat, I'm pregnant, not sick. You should sit down. Lou shrugged. I just hope they found a mummy. What could she be doing here? No clue. She said, biting her bottom lip, trying to make sense of the last 24 hours since her mother disappeared. Well, it looks like we'll have some answers soon. They continued up the empty trail, which was usually crawling with the hikers and runners who drove 45 minutes from Seattle to climb Mount Sai and catch a glimpse of the Snoqualmie Valley stretching to the west. Saving their breath, Luz and Patrick hiked in silence. Their footfalls, an occasional bird call, and wind rustling the trees the only sounds. Are we going all the way to the top? asked Patrick. No, we need to take the trail to Roaring Creek. It is just a few more feet. My father would bring us here to camp when we were little. I can't understand why my mom's here. She hated it. She only came along once or twice. I always knew your mom was depressed, but I never thought she'd do something so strange. I know. I'm worried it could be early dementia or a mental breakdown. Dementia? Patrick asked between pants. Isn't she too young? Yeah, she's only 52, but it could be early onset Alzheimer's. Luz bit at her fingers and tore off a sliver of skin from her thumb, a habit triggered when she was stressed. Patrick took her hand and they walked until Luz stopped to take a scrunchie out of her purse. She gathered her unruly curls and made a bun on the top of her head. It would be sad for her to have a grandchild and then not be able to enjoy her. Her? Or him, as long as they don't get my crazy hair, she said, trying to tuck in some curls that were resisting the bun. I hope he has your eyes. Patrick put his arm around her, but she pushed him away, impatient for answers, and picked up the pace. Finally, they found the trail spur to the creek. The narrow path was easier to climb than the steep, rock-strewn switchbacks up Mount Sai. It led them through lush ferns, giant pines, and the occasional clump of maples along the clear-cut, mycelium-colonized ground. The dark earth was soft and cushioned underfoot, a welcome change from the main trail's hardpack. As they approached a group of people clustered around a fire pit, a tall man with salt-and-pepper hair speaking to a police officer. Her father raised his hand. Luz bit her lip. When did he get old? She dashed to him, searching for her mother. Papi, did you find her? Marcelino turned to embrace her. No, hija, just her clothes. Luz hugged him. They were both tall, Luz at five feet nine inches and him six feet, both broad-shouldered, their large, round, brown eyes dominating their faces. If Luz could have grown a mustache, she would have looked like her father's younger, curvier brother. 
What do you mean, just her clothes? What's going on, Poppy? I saw her car in the parking lot. Someone found her car. They sent police to investigate, and they found her clothes at this campsite. What clothes, Poppy? She asked, panic creeping into her voice. A middle-aged officer approached them. Evening. Is everyone here? We're only missing my other son. What's going on? Can you please tell us what you found? Asked Luz. We'll give you a summary as soon as we get your folks together. We also would like to ask you some questions, so just give us a few minutes. As he walked away, Marcelino said, I feel like I'm in a nightmare and can't wake up. I know, Poppy, Luz huffed as she sat down by the fire pit. She wiped a layer of sweat from her brow, breathing slowly as nausea rolled in her stomach. Nothing makes sense. Why would Mommy come here and leave her clothes and her car? Do you think she was kidnapped? I don't know. I know your mother and she would never have left us, especially now. He frowned and looked away. Patrick walked over and offered a water bottle as he sank next to Luz on the rocks that ringed the fire pit. Have some. I got it from the cops. Luz sipped noisily while Patrick gently massaged her back. They were an odd couple. He was Vietnamese, slender and agile, slightly shorter than her. While Luz had brown skin, long legs, a tiny waist, and curves that kept her from being fashionable. Introverted and mild-mannered, he was fascinated by Luz's passion and intensity, anchoring Luz with his stability. They leaned into each other. Can I get you some water or something? Patrick asked his father-in-law. Marcelina shook his head, glancing nervously at his watch. She wouldn't have come here on her own. She used to say, Yo soy flor de asfalto. Remember? Luz nodded. Christian must have been three the last time she came camping with us. He sighed heavily. Patrick, can I use your phone to call Christian? I'm going to tell him to meet us at the house instead of here. Sure. Let's go down the trail a little where there's a better signal. Luz watched them walk away as her younger brother Joe sat down next to her and offered her a cigarette. She shook her head and looked at her hands. You quit, he said, taking a puff. He looked more like their mother, short and stout, except for the curls he cut down to a stubble. His jeans were dirty, and he wore a plaid shirt with the sleeves rolled up to his elbows. Holy shit, are you pregnant? Yes, we haven't told anyone yet. I just found out yesterday. This is great news. How long have you two been trying? Two long years. Congrats, Ermanita. He wrapped his arm around her shoulder and kissed her loudly on the cheek. I'm going to be an uncle. I can't believe mommy isn't here for this. I know. Bizarre. He took another long drag, adding, I got the job yesterday afternoon, just as Poppy was calling the police. I'm so happy for you. Luz gave him a one-arm hug. I still can't believe it. I knew it was a risk to quit the job at the restaurant. Only mommy encouraged me to try to find a job in film. Now I can't tell her I got it. When do you leave, Mr. Hollywood? Joe put out his cigarette in the pit and stood up. I have to be there in two weeks. Hopefully mommy will be back before then. He stretched his arms above his head. Remember all those scary stories we used to tell around this campfire? Luz nodded and leaned down to pick up the cigarette butt from the pit. It felt wrong to leave it there. Next to the butt, she felt something hard and pulled out a stone the size of a nickel. 
She inspected it closely. Sparkles winked as she turned it over. Her fingers traced the sharp edges of the crystals. Iron pyrite. Without thinking, she put it in her pocket. Christian would get so scared he'd piss in his sleeping bag, Joe said dreamily, a grin on his lips. Does Poppy think Christian is going to come? A junkie's parents never stop hoping. That's part of the problem. No one can predict what Christian will do. Poppy called him and Christian started crying. He told Poppy he was going to rehab, but he would come up first to help look for Mommy. Well, I hope he does go this time, for his and Poppy's sake. Yeah, heroin's a bitch. I'll be right back, baby mama. Gonna irrigate those trees. Don't ever call me that again. Luz pretended to kick him when he passed by her. As he walked away, Luz took out a small bottle of painkillers. She emptied the pills into her bag and, with the empty bottle, scooped up some of the fine ash from the pit and hid it in her purse. Why did I do that? Maybe it's the hormones. As she was wiping her hands on her jeans, an officer called the group to gather around a small, portable table he had set up and which looked out of place in the middle of the forest. Stiff but alert, Luz and her family stood in front of the officers. Please give us good news. Luz prayed. Mr. Marcelino and family, thank you for coming. First, we would like to ask you a few questions, and then we will share what we know. Luz startled everyone with a slap. Sorry, Mosquito, she said as she rubbed her neck. Yeah, let's try to get you out before it gets dark. Do you see anything familiar at this campsite? Anything odd or out of place? Honestly, we haven't been up here since we were teenagers, so I wouldn't notice anything offered Joe. Luz nodded. Same here. Is there any reason to believe your mother would leave on her own? My mom would never leave without telling someone. She was afraid of driving in the dark and hated camping and hiking. Then, realizing they expected answers from them instead of the other way around, Luz said, you gotta help us here. I understand your frustration and we're doing the best we can. Here's what we know so far. Yesterday, June 21st, around 2 in the morning, Mrs. Alma Rodriguez was seen by a neighbor, Mr. Davis, putting a large bottle into the trunk of her car. She was alone. This morning, a park ranger found her car with the door open and the keys in the ignition. An hour later, he found her clothes, which you've identified, neatly folded in a pile on that boulder. He also found an empty bottle of lighter fluid and a flashlight that you identified as missing from home. We've not been able to find any clues or footprints, except for those of her shoes, and they stop here. We are as lost as you. Can any of you think of any reason she would act like this? The group looked around at one another, their silence accentuated by the sound of the creek and birds. Any documents you wanted to destroy? The family looked at him with blank faces. Joe stepped forward. Could someone have incinerated her in the fire pit? How could you say something so gruesome, growled Marcelino. I'm sorry, but someone had to ask the obvious question. We are on the mountain from Twin Peaks. Luz stepped between her father and brother. Just shut up. Let me assure you, we have found no signs of violence. Also, a fire pit cannot create the heat necessary to incinerate a body. We usually find garbage and half-burned logs in these pits, but this one is pretty clean. It's warm to the touch, but there is only ash, no other sign of burning. They stood silently, cops and family waiting on one another for answers.
Anything else? The officer paused. Well, please contact me immediately if you can think of anything or remember something, he directed, passing out his card. Sometimes people may be going through something and then they come back. You don't know the first thing about my wife, Marcelino said through clenched teeth. You should be trying to find who took her. Mr. Marcelino, Mr. Rodriguez. Marcelino is my first name. I apologize, Mr. Rodriguez. We have no reason to believe someone abducted your wife. There was no forced entry into your home, and we have a witness who saw her leave. There is no sign of violence or struggle. The younger officer chimed in. It's as if she vanished into thin air. Which is impossible, corrected the older officer. You have my word. I will keep investigating. He offered his hand and Marcelino shook it, glaring at him. They trekked down the trail in silence, the dropping temperature and downward slope making the return trip physically easier. Shadows lengthened as their dread deepened, each of them in turmoil, trying to come up with an explanation for Alma's disappearance. Twenty years later. Luz rested her head on the steering wheel, waiting to cry, hoping to bawl her eyes out. But nothing came. I'm dead inside. The university's parking lot was empty now that finals were over, and the summer students had a few weeks before they were back in class. She'd left a memorial for one of her students, the third this year. It's too much. How many more young lives cut short by suicide? This one had been even harder than the others. She'd known him, having counseled him a few times at the beginning of the school year, but she was only allowed to provide short-term therapy as a college counselor. Now, almost eight months later, he jumped off an apartment building. Fuck, 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 she yelled, hitting the steering wheel. Could she have made a difference? His psychiatrist and therapist hadn't, so probably not. The doubts about her work snowballed. Nothing seemed to cure the depressed and anxious students. The medications just tempered the symptoms. Sighing, she started the car and drove home. What home? Her two-year relationship with Mark was waning, the passion that precipitated her divorce from Patrick, dead. Mark was a lecturer of philosophy at the university. Introverted, solemn, and quiet, her opposite. They shared a bed in his house, but for all practical purposes, lived apart. Mark spent the time when he wasn't lecturing, writing his obscure book on epistemology. Luz picked up Thai food. She wasn't hungry, but still felt compelled to fulfill her womanly duties and feed her man. So she parked in the driveway and went straight to Mark's study. He was bent over the keyboard, his salt and pepper hair falling over his forehead as one hand pecked away furiously while the other stroked his beard. Do you want to have dinner? She asked, because she always did, even though he always said no. Without looking up from the screen, Mark shook his head. I'll just grab something later. Need to finish this chapter on intuition, or as I call it, fake knowledge. I got pad thai. Mmm. She watched him type, his eyes fixed on the screen. I'll leave you a plate in the microwave. Luz went back into the kitchen, prepared two plates, and sat at the counter, staring out at the tiny backyard. It darkened suddenly from the passing of a cloud, as if someone had used a dimmer. She forced herself to eat a forkful of papaya salad, sour and spicy, like the jicama with lime and tahine her mother would make her. I can't believe it's been 20 years. She glanced at the ceiling. I miss you, mummy. 
The landline message light blinked, so she pressed the button. Hola, Luz. It's your Aunt Lula. Call me. It's urgent. I think you are two hours ahead, no? Please, call me. It is Tuesday, about four in the afternoon here. Dios mio. I hope it's not too late there. That's strange. For the last 20 years since her mother disappeared, she phoned Aunt Lula, her mother's sister in Mexico, the first Sunday of the month. The only time Lula had called her was when her husband died. Something must have happened. She dialed her aunt. Luz? Yuali is gone. Her aunt's voice trembled. What do you mean, gone? Did you call the police? Luz held her breath. The possibility that Mexico's rampant femicide had claimed a member of her family sent a shiver down her spine. Yuali was her 22-year-old niece and her aunt's granddaughter. Her aunt Lula had raised Yuali after her mother died in a car accident. She visited Luz in Seattle for a week every summer, but had pulled away in her teen years, too busy to travel. She went to Sinaloa to find out about her father. I'm afraid she'll try to kill herself again. Something seized Luz's stomach, twisting. What do you mean, again? What is going on? It's been so bad, she sighed. But I didn't want to worry you. You had so much on your plate getting divorced, and you work all the time. Luz closed her eyes. There it was, Lula's usual jab coated in disapproval. Yuali went downhill since she started looking for her father's family. She tried to kill herself with a gas overdose, but a neighbor found her before it was too late. What? That's all Luz could say. She swallowed. Why didn't I stay in touch? I could have helped them. Dia, this is serious. You should have told me. Tell me from the beginning. When she stopped visiting you in Seattle, she became like those goths, always in black, pierced all over, sleeping all day, saying she didn't have a reason to get up. I took her to the psychiatrist and they gave her pills, but they don't work, and she gets mad when I ask if she took them. I'm so sorry, Thea. Where could she go? Who are her friends? Luz asked, taking a glass from the dish rack and filling it with water. I never met her friends. She's always moody and on her phone or laptop. I'd love to help, Thea, but I wouldn't know where to look for her. I'm not asking you for that. I'm asking you to come and help as a psychologist. I'm a counselor, remember? And I'm not that good. Luz, we need you. Let me see what I can do. I'll call you back. She hung up as Mark walked into the kitchen, carrying a shot glass and a bottle of tequila. For me? asked Luz, sitting down and pouring a shot. What's the occasion? Mark warmed his food in the microwave. I'm done. With? My book. I finished it. Luz almost choked on the fiery drink. <laughs> you did? Yes. Congratulations. Luz finished the shot, and halfway up to hug him, she sat down. How does it feel? Like I just woke up from an eternal dream. Twenty years. Wow. Huh, said Luz. It was hard to imagine a future in which he wasn't working on it at least ten hours a day. I was thinking about Cabo for a week to get some sun. Then maybe Spain. No, wait, too hot in the summer. How about Machu Picchu? Now? This summer? Mark nodded, his mouth full of food. Luz's cheeks burned. I can't. I'm going to Mexico. 
Mark dropped his fork. Since when? My Aunt Lula left a message. Yuhali has disappeared, and I need to go. Is this the niece who used to come every summer? Luz nodded. I could come, or we could go when you return. I was thinking we should get married. We could go on a honeymoon. What? Mark got on one knee. I'm serious. This is what you want, right? Lou stared at him, mouth open. It was so unexpected that she almost burst out laughing, but held back. You look horrified, said Mark as he struggled to get back in his chair. Am I that bad of a catch? It's not that. It's just you and I barely speak to each other. We have separate lives. It's not that bad. Mark got a beer from the fridge and twisted off the cap. What did I do last weekend? Come on, that's not fair. I was busy finishing the book. All right, tell me what we did for my birthday. No, I'll make it even easier. When is my birthday? You're ridiculous. You know I don't care about those things. That's fair, but I do. Okay, then, what kind of future do you imagine? Lou sat on her hands to keep them from shaking as her heart pounded in her chest. We can retire to my cabin on Orcas Island. Enjoy life. I'm not ready to retire. I'm only 52. You can still do your counseling thing there, said Mark, taking her hand. He's dismissing me. Heat rose from her stomach to her head, and she yanked her hand from Mark's grasp. You're right. I should just throw away my 10-year career at the university, my PhD, and all my experience so I can help rich women face their wrinkles. That's not what I meant. Luz got up so quickly her chair toppled over, crashing on the floor. What did you mean then? That I should be a good little woman and give up everything to follow someone who has ignored me for the last year? Mark got up from the table, red-faced and breathing hard. You're too emotional. We can talk when you're calm. But Luz had smashed the valve restraining her emotions, and the trickle of resentment was now a fire hose that she couldn't turn off. Hands on her hips, she blocked his exit and glared at him with blazing eyes. Let's talk now. You no longer have your book as an excuse to flee. Mark tried to go around her, but Lou stood in his way, arms crossed. I said we'd talk later. No, Lou said, poking him in the chest with her index finger, nostrils flaring. I'm calm. Tell me what you meant. You're not calm. Luz took a deep breath, crossing her arms to hold in the current that rushed through her body. I'm calm now. Listen, I thought that this is what you girls want, to get married, the ring. Can you hear yourself? Do you think we girls of 52 want a ring? Security? I can buy any fucking ring I want. We have the same retirement plan. Luz paced. I can understand why you want to get married. Married men live longer, but women don't. You just want someone who will leave their work to entertain you. You're irrational. Maybe I am, for putting up with your shit for so long. I had to put up with a lot, too. You? What? You leaving all the time to see your sons, giving them money, and buying them everything they ask for, even though they never thank you. Luz chuckled, but it came out like a strangled laugh. I guess I should let you manage my money so I don't waste it on my kids. That's not what I meant. She exhaled. I need to stop. It isn't worth the energy. No use stirring the embers in a fire you want to put out. 
Breathing deeply, she drank a glass of water and leaned on the kitchen sink. Mark left his beer bottle in the sink and poured himself half a glass of scotch. Lou sat at the table again and put her head in her hands. I don't want to marry you. I'll move out. He poured her another tequila. You don't have to. We can stay as we are now. It's time. You don't even like me. That's not true, said Mark, finishing his scotch. It's just some parts of you that are problematic. I need to get my own place where my sons are welcome. I'm sorry I said that before. You know I like them, right? Luz got up. She didn't want to hurt Mark, but she wasn't going to lie either. We tried for two years. It's time to let go. I'm going to bed. I have an early day tomorrow. The next day, Luz rummaged through her office for items she might need during the summer break and placed them in a canvas tote. She threw in a water bottle, her headphones, and an open bag of almonds. Her dean knocked and opened the door. Can I come in? Please, said Luz, taking the tote off a chair. I have bad news, said the dean, crossing her legs. No, I didn't get the director's position. Luz slumped back in her chair. Her life seemed to be taking some wrong turns. I'm sorry. Luz, remember, it's just an interim position. When it opens six months from now, you can still apply. What for? It's obvious the committee doesn't think I'm director material. Then become director material. You have the next six months. What do you mean? The director ruffled her short blonde hair. Work on your skills. You can be very opinionated and passionate, and it turns people off. I see. You mean the committee doesn't like women with opinions? It's not that, but you can be intimidating. Luz was grateful she'd run an extra two miles that morning, taking advantage of the good weather, because it helped her contain the anger building inside. She took a deep breath and grit her teeth. Thank you for your honesty. One piece of advice. Stop questioning all the experts. We may not get the results we want all the time, but their methods work. Maybe you're just a little burnt out. I'm not sure the parents of the dead students think our methods work. The dean scowled and stood up. Aggression is a sign of burnout. Sorry for the bad news, but I hope you have a relaxing summer. Luz bumped her way through the crowd, scanning the faces in front of Mexico City's airport arrivals. Fearful she wouldn't recognize her tia Lula, she spotted the older copy of her mother right away. A hollow feeling set up in her chest. That's what her mother would have looked like now. Lula pecked her cheek. Yes, ya gaste. Luz hugged her back, bending over her pear-shaped aunt her short, thin legs and meaty arms, so typical of older Mexican women. Lula kept her short hair dyed brown, a gray fringe at the hairline, presaging a visit to the stylist. Dark circles framed her eyes, and her clothes hung loose. You must be tired, Lula said, turning toward the parking lot without waiting for Luz to answer. Luz followed as they skillfully maneuvered around men pushing dollies packed with bags and large families trying to stay together. They walked by shops, money exchange booths, and restaurants from which wafted tantalizing smells of bacon, freshly brewed coffee, and salsa. 
The loudspeakers warned passengers not to leave packages unattended and increased the sense of urgency in the air. Lula walked confidently ahead, never stopping, expecting people to get out of her way. And they did. She guided her through the maze of the airport and parking lot until they arrived at a steel-gray VW Beetle. It was a model from the 70s, bare metal and glass, no frills, but immaculate, not a scratch or a stain on the cloth upholstery. Lou swung the suitcase into the front-end trunk and sat by her aunt. Thank you for picking me up. I could have taken the bus to Pachuca. Nonsense, said Lula. I'm so grateful you came. This is the least I can do. And it's only 70 kilometers. Have you heard from Jolly? Lula shook her head and gripped the steering wheel with eyes stuck on the traffic ahead. The popo, cone-shaped and majestic, smoke rising from his crater, appeared to float above them as they drove northeast on the modern highway toward Pachuca. Cottonwoods and cactus trees lined the road. Occasional tents sheltered and fed hungry drivers with barbacoa and flavored nieves. They passed the turnoff to Teotihuacan, where the sun and moon pyramids were once the centers of the world. Luz checked her messages and read Mark's latest. Get your shit together and come back. I'm here, but I won't wait forever. Luz swallowed hard, but didn't reply. Instead, she texted her sons that she had landed and was safe. As they approached Pachuca, the Sierra appeared out of nowhere. The Atomis and Chichimecas founded the capital of Hidalgo in the narrow valley that was essentially a wind tunnel and gave the city its nickname, La Bella Erosa. Conquered by the Mexicas and then the Spanish, it was rough land accustomed to hardship. The arid, rugged hills hid rich silver and gold veins. A sixth of the world's silver was mined here on the backs of Indians, black slaves, and mestizos. International companies ran the mines dry and left toxic mounds of refuse, on top of which people built their brightly painted homes. They left the rural landscape and reached the outskirts of the city, where cheap motels and improvised shacks lined the highway. Lula drove the VW Beetle at 10 miles below speed limits as they left behind malls and large grocery stores that soon gave way to recently built McDonald's, Domino's Pizza Joints, and Walmart. She maneuvered through the main avenue where long-established businesses fought a losing battle against global corporations. Mercado Revolución, a coffee mill that gave off whiffs of freshly roasted beans. A pharmacy, little shops, and homes. Then they turned down a narrow cobblestone street and parked in front of an immaculate house. Clay pots flowering with red and white geraniums and multicolored begonias lined the walls. Inside, the scent of roasted chiles hung in the air. I made the bed in Pedro's study for you. I'm going to check on la comida. They sat at the heavy formal dining room table. Lace curtains let in rays of the afternoon sun that ignited the swirling dust into shimmering motes. The bell from the nearby basilica rang, announcing 2 p.m. Luz closed her eyes and for a moment was back in her grandmother's kitchen, visiting with her mother. She thought she heard Alma's raucous laugh. I made you a typical meal, said Lula. I hope you eat Mexican food. Of course I do. It is my favorite. You shouldn't have bothered. Thank you, Tia. What else do I have to do but worry about you, Ali? In front of her, Lula placed a bowl with a red-stained bundle trussed in string and sat at the head of the table with her bowl. 
As Luz opened the bundle, steam saturated with the aroma of chili, ancho, garlic, cloves, and oregano rose, tickling her nose. I know you gringos don't eat spices nor chiles. Luz, what is the matter? Luz smiled, sweat trickling down her face and neck. A blush spread across her cheeks. It's just a hot flash, tia. It'll pass. When your mother was here the last time, we were both having bochunos. One of us would get one and the other would follow. They seemed contagious. Luz wiped the sweat from her forehead. They're driving me mad. She bit her taco. Mmm, tia, this is delicious. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. I was worried you'd only want hamburgers and hot dogs. How is your father, Luz, and his new wife? Asked Lula. Oh, he's doing fine. His wife isn't that new. They've been married 15 years now. She takes good care of him. I can't believe it. How long has it been since your mother? Lula asked, raising her right eyebrow. 20 years. My mother was my age when she disappeared. Lula sighed. What if Yuali never comes back? She will, Tia. Can you tell me more? Was she seeing a doctor? Lula nodded. I made an appointment for you to speak with him tomorrow. Does she have a boyfriend? She hardly spoke to me since starting college. Lula arched her eyebrows and pursed her lips. You should talk to her anthropology professor. I bet he knows where you all he went. Her professor? She's fascinated with him. She couldn't stop talking about him. I think they were having an affair. Are you serious? Lula nodded. Can you believe that? Yuck. Maybe I'll go check that asshole out. She hated the professors with frail egos who surrounded themselves with young admirers, often taking advantage of them. One of the things that attracted her to Mark was how immune he was to his female students' charms. The next day, Lula drove Luz to meet with Yuali's psychiatrist. The doctor was in his 40s, balding and wearing his doctor's coat. Luz was surprised at how eagerly he talked about his patient, reading from a paper file with no concern for her privacy. I started seeing Yuali when she was in high school. The school psychologist referred her to me for cutting. I diagnosed her with generalized anxiety disorder and clinical depression and started her on a couple of medications. He lowered his glasses and turned to Luz. She nodded to show she was following. She responded well to the medications, but six months later, the effects wore off and she was back in the same place. So we doubled her medications and again she responded. A year later, she attempted suicide. We swapped her medication, then six months ago, doubled it. Have you considered that when she felt better after starting a medication, it was a placebo effect? That's why it wore off after a few months. Yawali is a very sick person. When she is depressed, she reports not having a reason to live. Luz walked to the office door. Let me know when you find a pill that gives someone a reason to live. She shut the door behind her. Fuck. Poor Yawali, searching for meaning and instead getting pills. She knew people who benefited from medications, but in this case, they'd made things worse. That evening, Luz squeezed into a tiny square table in the corner of the kitchen, while Lula flipped tlacoyos over a hot kumal. Tia, what was my mother like growing up? Alma? laughed Lula. Alma was the opposite of me. 
Your mother was the rebel of the family. She was the oldest, right? Yes, I am the youngest and the only one left. After Alma came Magda and Claudia. Both of them died of cancer. And your mom? Well, you know better than me. She looked wistfully ahead, as if for playing memories. Your mother was a contrarian. She hated school, never got good grades like the rest of us. She was the first one to drive, and she smoked and cursed a lot. I had no idea my mother was like that, Lou said, leaning in. Alma was the only one who left Pachuca and married a gringo. My father isn't a gringo, he's Mexican. No, Luz, your father was born in the U.S., and so were you. You're not Mexicans. In the U.S., I'm Chicana. Lula poured café con leche in Luz's cup. You're a pocha, Luz. I guess ni de aquí, ni de allá. It must have been hard for mommy to move to a new country and live with a man she barely knew. I kept expecting her to leave him and come back, but she loved Marcelino, and marriage meant something back then. There's the jab once again. Luz sipped her coffee. Did my mother ever tell you why she was so unhappy? She missed Mexico and the family. Hated the weather, said she could never get warm. She expected to live in a big U.S. city, but ended up living on a ranch. Back then, Snoqualmie was a rancho. It's still rural, but it's grown into a suburb of Seattle. My father was a manager on a farm, so he bought this little rambler in a place where it took an hour and a half to walk to the little town. I can see how my mother must have been bored. Lula placed a plate of tlacoyos in front of Luz. Bored? She wished she could be bored. She went with someone with papers, expecting to have the great American life and ended up working for 15 years cleaning the farmer's house. I remember going with her to clean the big house. Jolie and her mother were here when your mother came to visit the week before she disappeared. Lou sipped her coffee. Do you remember how she was? Did she say anything? Ah, Mia, she sighed. Those were very dark times for all of us. My dad said the police talked to you on the phone, Tia. They did. They wanted to know if your mother had moved back or told us of any plans. But she never said anything about leaving. She was very worried about all of you. Your father had the cancer, you couldn't get pregnant, and your brothers had drug problems. Luz picked up her plate and washed it. Just Christian. He's been clean since mommy disappeared. But what cancer? My father has never had cancer. I may be wrong, but I'm sure she said he had cancer in the liver or pancreas. She was very distraught, and I wasn't much help as I was dealing with my own problems. How long was she here? Alma was only here for a week. After she disappeared, I wondered if she came to say goodbye. Maybe it was too much for her. Do you think she left us? Lula, gaunt and pale, emptied her almost full plate in the trash and handed it to Luz. I don't know what happened, but the Alma I knew would never consider leaving her family. When she was here, she was worried, scared even. I think something evil happened to her. The day she disappeared was also the day my Eleonora died. Lula made the sign of the cross. The harsh light of the kitchen accentuated the lines on Lula's face. 
Eleonora was only 24 years old when she died, still a kid. She was fleeing Kulikan with that man. Lula pressed her lips, blinking rapidly. That man was one of those narco-satanicos who murdered the gringo. They were going to arrest him. Luz frowned. She'd never heard this before. Was that man Yuali's father? Lula nodded stiffly with a downturned mouth. He was driving too fast and blew a tire. The car flipped over and over on the side of the road and landed on its hood. Eleonora's head was crushed, and the coroner said she died instantly. I'm so sorry, Tia. I hadn't heard the whole story. It must have been so hard, Lou said softly, patting her aunt's hand. They found Iwali crying next to the wreck, calling for her mommy. She was bruised and scratched, but she didn't even need a Band-Aid. And the driver? He was crushed, part in and part out of the car, screaming in agony. It took them almost four hours to free him. He died in the ambulance. She smiled, then frowned, looking away. Eleonora wasn't a bad girl. She just fell in with a bad crowd. Her shoulders slumped, and she lowered her voice to almost a whisper. But Yuwali's father and his gang weren't rebeldes. They were evil. Lou squeezed Lula's hand. I know she wasn't bad, Tia. We all have our battles. For some, it is harder. Yoali is lucky to have had you and Tio Pedro. We were lucky too. After losing Eleonora, Yoali brought us comfort and joy. My Pedro became young again. He doted on her. She looked away wistfully, probably remembering the good times before a stroke extinguished Pedro's light like a candle in a rainstorm. My Eleonora died the day your mother disappeared. That was why I wasn't able to come stay with you. I wish I could have been there to comfort you and your brothers. I understand, Tia, said Luz, wiping a tear from her eye. Thank you. I wish I could have been here for you when Eleonora died. Lula sighed. If I had only told Yuwali about her father... She wouldn't be in Sinaloa speaking to those awful people. He was pure evil. Why do you think Eleonora fell for him? She crossed herself. Satan isn't ugly and mean. He's charming. That's how he tempted Eve. Lula excused herself and returned a few minutes later with a stack of about ten letters tied with a faded violet ribbon. She placed them in Luz's hands. Your mother and I wrote each other every month. They're yours now. I hope you can find some answers. Lou stayed up in bed reading her mother's letters from the year before she disappeared. They contained daily descriptions of her life, chores, and her fears and worries for her family. The last letter outlined her last trip to Pachuca and finished with the news that Marcelino had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Fear stitched the last few lines as she described an upcoming appointment to meet with a specialist. Luz couldn't sleep. Hot flashes made her sweat and kicked the blankets off the bed. She flipped over so that her head was on the cool bedspread and her feet on the hot pillow and lifted her nightgown below her neck, letting the air cool her stomach and chest. She checked her phone. It was 1 a.m. She rolled down her nightgown and went into Yuali's bedroom. Where are you? String lights hung over Yuali's bed. 
Her desk was neat and clean, probably organized by her grandmother. Flopping on the bed, she hugged a stuffed elephant, one of a menagerie of animals that slept on the bed. What am I doing? I'm stuck in my job. My sons don't need me. I don't know where to go from here. She picked up Yoali's pillow to take to her bed and saw a leather journal with only the first five pages filled with Yoali's neat script. Poems or lyrics thanked someone with hazel eyes for saving her life and promised enduring love. Luz left it where it was. Yoali must be in love. Finally, around three in the morning, she fell into a fitful sleep. In the afternoon, Luz borrowed Lula's car and drove to the university to talk to Yoali's professor. She meandered through the campus, its modern facilities crowded with students, until she arrived at the sociology department, where a receptionist informed her Professor Ivan was at his community project. Rush hour traffic congested the streets as Luz sat in her aunt's beetle, massaging her left leg, unused to the clutch. She chewed on the corner of the page with the address for a community garden downtown. I hate that idiot professor. Glancing out the window, she strained to see above the cars in front of her, afraid she wouldn't make it. She arrived at Cubitos, an informal settlement on a hill where the working poor built colorful houses, one on top of the other. Some lacked running water, and most with improvised cables borrowed electricity from the power lines. Following a sign pointing to the ecological reserve, Cubitos Park and Community Garden, she arrived where a group of college students and residents were busy planting and hoeing. Luz stood on her toes, searching for someone who looked like a professor. Spying a man in a suit at the far end of the garden, she rushed to him, but tripped over someone crouched in the brush. Luz flew through the air, then broke her fall, scraping her palms and elbows. Her purse spilled its wallet, cell phone, comb, and makeup bag on the ground. The crouching man rushed to help her up. Luce was already on her knees, beat red, because the man was handsome. He wore jeans and sandals and a light blue chambray shirt with only the top button open. Thank God he wasn't one of those gold chains on a hairy chest type. His almond-shaped eyes blinked at her as he offered a weathered hand. A salt and pepper braid fell down his back. Are you all right? He asked, holding her arm until she was steady. Luz laughed and dusted herself off. I didn't see you. The man let go of her arm, got on all fours, and passed her the objects from her purse. When he gave her the canister with the ashes from the fire pit where her mother disappeared, Luz panicked and searched through the bag for the pyrite pebble. But it wasn't there. My pebble! She cried, getting down on the ground and looking for it in the dry earth. What pebble? asked the kind man, little wrinkles formed in the corner of his eyes. His large, slightly hooked nose gave his face power. Luz got up and sighed. It's useless. I'll never find it. The man handed her a water bottle. I'm sorry. How can I make it up to you? Luz looked for the man she thought was a professor, but he was nowhere. Fuck, I miss the creepy professor. What professor? Ivan something. They told me he was here. You mean that creep Ivan de la Sierra? Luz nodded. The man shook her hand. I'm Ivan de la Sierra. Nice to meet you. Shit. Ivan arched his eyebrows. 
Luz blushed, but then remembered why she was there. My name is Luz Rodriguez, and I need to talk to you about one of your students. Two young women approached with shovels and pails. Ivan turned to them and gave directions, then turned back to Luz. I'm almost done here, but first, let me make sure everyone returns the equipment, and then I'm all yours. Luz walked through the community garden. In one corner, an indigenous couple taught two young men how to properly water the new corn. Instead of a fence, eight-foot-tall nopales interlocked their arms to enclose the garden. She waited by the entrance as Ivan chatted with the students returning shovels and hoes, relaxed but never inappropriate. Ivan locked the shed and walked over to Luz as the overcast sky gave off a low grumble. There's a coffee shop just down the street. Would you like to talk there? Luz followed him down the cobblestone street to a cozy little cafe where her mouth watered at the aroma of roasted coffee. They sat in a corner, the table so small their knees touched under the table. She sipped the dark roasted coffee and gazed at him over her mug. She could understand why his students would be attracted to him. Even though he was in his fifties, he was fit and strong with a quick smile that softened his rugged features. He's fucking hot, she sighed, and interested in 20-year-olds. How can I help you? My niece, Iwali, left home. I'm hoping you might know something about where she went. Why are you looking for her? Is she in trouble? I don't know. She's going through a lot, and her grandmother is worried. He offered her half of his sugar cookie. Do you think I'm having a relationship with her? Is that why you called me creepy? Are you? No, I assure you. I've never blurred the line between professor and student. Luz bit the cookie, wanting to believe him, but not ready to trust him. She enjoyed listening to his soft, low voice, his quick smile, and the kind way he treated the servers. But Lula was right. Charisma wasn't a virtue. You seem to enjoy being around young people. I do. I just like people that complain about them. These young people are witnessing the destruction of our planet. All the while, they are the most isolated, but at the same time, the most connected generation. So, who are you, Luz Tia de Uali? I'm a counselor at the University of Washington, in Seattle. Ah, so you also like working with young people. Is there anything at all you can tell me about Yuali? Her grandmother is worried, and we have reason to believe she may be in danger. I'm sorry. I honestly don't know where she could be. She was in my class, and we have talked a couple of times, but that's about it. Is that why you came to Mexico? Luz put her elbows on the table. Yes. If you think of anyone that could help find her, will you let me know? Ivan nodded. Luz thought she should leave, but didn't say anything when the server refreshed their mugs. What about you? Why anthropology? Easy. Anthropology has allowed me to connect to my culture and my roots, and through teaching, I'm helping my students connect to their roots. Luz nodded, sipping the coffee. She licked her lips and saw him staring at them. I'm Yaki on my father's side and was fascinated by his stories of our people. I've been researching our family and tribal history and culture in Oaxaca. But aren't the Yaqui from the north? Luz asked. Ivan beamed at her. 
Yes, my people were from Sonora and Arizona, but Porfirio Diaz enslaved them and sent many of them to Oaxaca to work the plantations. My father moved here in the 1950s to work in the mines. I was born in El Real. They chatted for a while about Pachuca and the surrounding towns. Luz glanced at her phone. I should leave. I'll take some pastes for my aunt for la merienda. The mole ones are the best. Yuali wrote a paper on a local legend. If you want, I can email you her paper. I'd appreciate that. Luz wrote her email on a paper napkin, then rushed away with a warm bag of meat pastries. She had an uneasy feeling in her stomach, then realized it was desire. That night, Luz sat in bed reading Yuali's paper. It started with how pre-Hispanic tribes had mined for obsidian to make tools and weapons. When the Spanish invaded, they worked the Indians to death, then replaced them with slaves stolen from Africa. They dug deeper and deeper until they exhausted the mines. Years later, Cornish and American companies returned with new technologies to access the minerals and precious metals, precipitating the first labor strike in Mexico in a mine in Pachuca in 1776. The paper was well-written and detailed. In 1920, a fire spread through the deep shafts of a mine worked by an American mining company in El Real. The manager sealed the tunnels to starve the fire of oxygen. The blaze was extinguished, but at the expense of dozens of incinerated miners, whose charred remains were found strewn where they fell when the bosses opened the mine after six days. There were six survivors. The legend of the Bordeaux fire and El Minero was born. The survivors said that when the mine caught fire, 87 men ran to the elevators to escape. Tenoch, repelled by the heat and smoke, bolted in the opposite direction, deeper into the mine's heart. Tenoch knew the stories about how his ancestors sealed the underworld to protect the Earth Mother from rapacious humans and that the gods left fire serpents to guard her. Tenoch sprinted deeper and deeper into the Earth's womb, away from the fire. When Tenoch stumbled into a dead end, he fell to his knees, wailing to the earth to save him. A slash opened in the wall, and the great goddess appeared. On her head rested an enormous headdress from which spiders dangled from silken webs, an owl perched on her shoulder. She wore a red wipil, embroidered in gold thread. Taking pity on him, she offered Tenoch water and told him she would grant him a wish. Tenoch asked for his life. The Earth Mother agreed, but warned that she had to keep the natural balance of life, that for every gift, there was also a price. In return for his life, Tenoch would have to guard the mine interests for eternity and offer wishes only to those he deemed worthy. Tenoch agreed. The Earth Mother handed him a leather pouch from which he could pull iron pyrite crystals to give to those requesting help. Since that time, Tenoch lived by the mine where only those with pure intentions could find him to ask a favor. Luz's heart accelerated. She had found a pyrite crystal where her mother disappeared, the one she had lost today. She read on until she fell asleep and dreamt her mother was walking into a mine, disappearing into the darkness, the howls of the burning miners reverberating against the rock walls. The following day, Luz and Lula squeezed back into the tiny square table in the corner of the kitchen. They drank strong black coffee and stabbed cubes of aromatic red papaya with a fork. 
Lula, in a faded nightgown and slippers. Luz, cross-legged in black yoga pants and an oversized t-shirt. Why do you think Yuali was having an affair with her teacher? Because she's never had a boy over and talked about that Ivan all the time. Did she say anything to make you think they were seeing each other? I told you she's very private. She didn't speak about anyone else, so I assumed. Luz felt lighter. Do you know anything about the Minero and Wishes? Lula choked on her coffee. Why are you asking me this? I read Yuali's paper on the legend of the miner who gives out wishes. Did my mother ever go to the Minero? Your mother went to see him the last time she was here. She crossed herself. I think he did a trabajo on her, cursed her because a week later, Eleonora was dead and your mother disappeared. Luz left the dishes in the sink, then sat and took her aunt's hand. Tell me what you remember. Ah, yeah, it was so long ago. I remember she was intent on going, even though I begged her not to. But why, Tia? That place is evil. The miners dug so deep, they let out millions of spirits who now live in the abandoned mine. You don't believe that, do you? Lula yanked her hand away and glared at her. I'm not a superstitious old woman. Some say the ghosts of dead miners live in his bowels. If you'd been there, you'd know. Luz emailed Ivan, asking if he knew where she could find the miner from Yuali's paper. A half hour later, he offered to take her. Butterflies fluttered in her stomach, but not from fear. Ivan picked Luz up and drove to El Real or Mineral del Monte, a small mining town at almost 9,000 feet in the Sierra de Pechuca. Red tin-roofed homes dotted the mountainside along narrow, twisted roads that crisscrossed the small town like a drunken snake. They stopped at the market and bought a warm blanket, a rain poncho, and some pastes, a Mexican version of Cornish pastries filled with potatoes and chiles. Ivan meandered through the stalls and bought a bottle of purque. Ivan maneuvered his pickup out of town and up the mountain, slipping past meadows where families and friends gathered to enjoy the weekend. Luz replayed the fun times with her cousins when they would come on vacation. The soccer and volleyball games, the horseback rides and the hikes, the carnes asadas. The adults would warn them to stay close and watch out for the tiros, mineshafts big enough for a person to disappear into the dark forever. She shuddered just as Ivan turned onto a hidden dirt road. I almost missed it, he said as the car fishtailed in the dirt. He slowed to a crawl and they rattled and shook down the narrow, rutted path until he stopped at a rusted wheel that straddled the width of the primitive road. Now we walk. They hiked through the Oyamel trees, pines that looked like the shorter cousins of the majestic conifers in Snoqualmie. Ivan offered his hand to help her over a fallen tree, his touch sending a buzz through her body. It was the rainy season, and everything was green and blooming. The narrow path, thick with mud, was barely visible through the overgrown grass, wildflowers, and many mushrooms erupting from the moist earth. Pine and ecote rode the gentle breeze that sculpted the clouds above, infusing a cleansing aroma into a show of light and shadow on the trees. They circled an immense boulder and stared at the boarded-up mine. Luz's face drained of color. 
It was the cape from her dream. Wait here, said Ivan, walking away. Lou stared at the mine entrance, the hair on the back of her neck standing on end. She flinched, startled when Ivan shouted, Tenoch, Don Tenoch, Esivan. She burst out laughing. All of this was getting to her. She was wiping sweat from her brow when Ivan appeared, holding the arm of the oldest person Luz had ever seen. His bent skeletal frame topped four feet at most. His face was a dark mask of wrinkles and bushy white eyebrows that shot out like cat's whiskers from beneath his straw hat. He walked slowly but sure-footed and straight in child-sized sketcher shoes. Ivan placed the wooden chair he was carrying and helped him sit down. He motioned for Luz to bring their offerings. Luz approached with the clothes and food. Buenas tardes, Luz said. Buenas tardes, mija, he said in a clear, strong voice. His teeth were almost all gone. Blackened stumps filled the gaps. His left ear was disfigured by flaky gray and white growths. Ivan motioned Luz forward. This is Luz. She brought you some gifts. Luz placed the poncho and jacket on the older man's lap as he stared ahead with eyes clouded by yellow cataracts. He felt the clothes, then took her hand. A blush crept up Luz's neck as a hot flash burst from her solar plexus, sweat running down her face and neck. You are changing. Good, he smiled, nodding, his blank eyes staring into nothing. Menopause is when a woman's power is at its peak. Really? Where I come from, it's the exact opposite. It's when you're done. Luz tried to pull her hand away, but he tightened his grip and pulled her closer. Luz held her breath, avoiding the stench coming from the pit of his mouth.